I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. So today I'm going to be talking with Dan Baston. I've known Dan over 20 years. We met when we were 15, right, Dan? So yeah. Well, I, I think I think I was 12. You might have you know, been 12. Yeah, we go way, way back. In fact, I remember when his wife Liz was pregnant with Clayton, and now Clayton is in college. So time just flies. And through the years, Dan and I have always had a fabulous relationship. We've always talked about business. He was a big fan when we started Rappaport Rikus Capital Management, and he's always shared some great wisdom, and I'm really glad he's going to share it with the listener today. So a little bit about Dan. He spent over 38 years as a corporate finance and business valuation professional, assisting publicly traded and privately held corporate clients and ERISA fiduciaries on a variety of shareholder and strategic and financial issues. He spent 25 years at Duff and Phelps, which is really a long time. And then in 2009, he joined several of his former Duff and Phelps partners to form Cognient Group and led its corporate financial advisory practice until his retirement in 2021. Dan has a finance BS degree from University of Illinois, Go Illini. Both of our brackets were probably busted this year in the NCAA because I, I always have to put Illinois and I'm sure Dan does too. Uh, but he, he also had his MBA from Northwestern, so he got to root for two teams this year. He's a chartered financial analyst, CFA, and a member of the CFA Institute, the National Association of Corporate Directors, Private Directors Association, where he was the founding member. So I'd like to actually talk a little bit about that later. Economics Club of Chicago and many, many more organizations, which we will have at the bio of our website. He is a member of the board of directors of KLI Engineering, Torch Technologies, Alterman Group, Terrazzo and Marble Supply Company, and Lachman Consultant Services, each a 100% ESOP-owned company. Previously, he served on the boards and directors of five other ESOP-owned companies. He's also involved in a lot of civic and charitable organizations. He's been on the Dean's Business Council for Geese College of Business for University of Illinois. It was on the Board of Trustees for Sacred Heart School of Chicago and actually served as chair during COVID. So we're going to talk about that as well. So as you can see, Dan may have retired in 2021 from his day job, but he by no means is retired, which is a dream of a lot of the listeners and a lot of my clients is they love working, but they just want to maybe have a second act or do something else. So that's why I'm so excited to talk with Dan today. We're going to talk about his career, his decision how to retire from his day job, what it would look like 
how he got involved and was on these board of directors. We're going to talk about how he chaired Sacred Heart during COVID. And we're going to also talk with Dan, how he maximizes his return on life. Dan is an extremely humble person, so he's probably sitting there. I see him getting all red as I read all this, but he's such an accomplished person, so I wanted to make sure I shared everything with you. So, Dan, let's start at the beginning after you of I talk a little bit about your career. Sure. So I went to U of I, graduated in 1983, you know, and U of I was the only school I applied to. You know, I grew up in Bloomington Normal, and my dad always used to say as I watched the Illini football games, if I was smart enough, I'd go to that college. So... It's unlike today where my teenage boys where were going to see all these colleges all over the, the country. I enjoyed my time at Champaign immensely and and was fortunate enough to come to Chicago and, and work for a really old line firm. And, uh, you know, I thought I would come to Chicago and move on to bigger and better things after a couple of years. Before I knew it, I was there for, uh, for, for 25 years. And, you know, initially you're kind of embarrassed about that because your other friends are moving on to other organizations. After a while, you wear that as a badge of honor. So I was quite proud that I uh, stayed that long. And, and you know, my, my background, you know, really was in uh, in corporate finance, you know, and as you said, business valuations. And I, and I really specialized in one particular area. I helped a lot of private business owners with ownership transition solutions. And the solution that I was an expert in is using what's called ESOPs, E-S-O-P, uh, as a way to kind of sell uh, the business and a business owner could get a, a market multiple for their their company and they get some unique tax advantages. So so that was my niche in the, in the corporate finance world. And it's actually played a role in my second chapter on what I do from uh, from a corporate governance perspective. Uh, but it's uh, uh, really kind of been an interesting transition uh, for me because I, I've been active, obviously, in not only corporate uh, activities, but, you know, from a... Uh, uh, a volunteer basis uh, got active with, as you said, with uh, my kids' uh, elementary school, uh, Sacred Heart Schools, located on Sheridan Road in Chicago, and 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 all of these have provided some really interesting leadership uh, lessons as you as you go through life. But it also helps you prioritize kind of what you what you want to focus your time doing, and uh, certainly it helped me in ultimately making my decision to kind of step back. Um, uh, so I, I retired, let's see, the summer of, of 2021, uh, and I just turned 61 that summer. And, uh, you know, COVID had a lot to, to change my perspective, too. Um, you know, I always used to think I needed to, to be in an office with colleagues, you know, running around and, and being very busy. Um, and so I took a step back from that. And I, I really, uh, really enjoyed the work that I did with clients um, and enjoyed um, winning new business. So that was one of the thrilling parts. But at the end of the day, that I came to the conclusion that's a younger person's game. And I wasn't necessarily getting any younger, but I had other things I wanted to do. And most importantly, you know, I wanted to, to really have more control over my own life schedule, so to speak, uh, just not on a day-to-day -day basis, but a long-term basis. So that uh, helped influence me that it was time to move on, pass along the, the the day job responsibilities to a younger generation and and move into what I really kind of see as is my next chapter in, in being busy. I am not the kind of person that can retire and go to the beach and, and read a book. I mean, I can do that for a week, right? 
you know, after a week, I'm, <laughs> I'm dying to kind of do something, something else. And so this was my solution uh, as, as the next chapter in, in my, in my professional career. So, you know, I know COVID had a lot, it changed a lot for a lot of people because I personally never thought I could work at home either. And it's, it's just amazing that in like two days, everyone's business shifted and people working from home, but I'm, you know, I'm sure it was a decision with your wife about retiring and also a financial decision. So you do want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, anytime you kind of make these kind of decisions, of course, this is something that, you know, I think people think about a lot during their lives, right. And they, kind of make a, put a stake in the ground. Well, when I feel like I can get, you know, a, a financial position at this level, then I can start making those decisions. But what happens? You reach that level and then you say, well, that's not really kind of what I think I need. I think I need, you know, the, this level. And so you, you have to have the discipline. And, and I, I certainly was in a way I kept raising the bar, you know, and I finally kind of said, I, I got to quit raising the bar. I just got to do it. It's hard to do it yourself, right? You got to do it in consultation, Liz and I talked long about that. You know, quite frankly, Liz wasn't really sure she wanted me hanging around the house all that much, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so you have to have a game plan, you know, and I've always been in one life, you know, I always have a game plan. I have lists of things to do, uh, but I always believe that you have to kind of think through the alternatives. And so this was an alternative that I kind of really thought through, uh, both financially. I thought through what it was going to do uh, from, from a, a time perspective. I mean, fortunately, my boys the time I retired, they were still at home. I purposely wanted to, certainly with my my oldest son, who was going to be going off to college, have a chance to, I, I'm not really sure I actually spent that much more time with him because, you know, at that age, you know, he, he's got other things he wants to spend time with. But it, it, uh, it all these are things that, that kind of go into um, the, the decision, just not based upon facts, but, you know, psychologically, what's it going to do? I mean, and I, you know, I, I had gone through a period of time when I made a, a transition from Duff and Phelps to, you know, a new firm. And I had, I had to have a, I had to have a 12 months of a quiet period, right. Where I couldn't do anything contractually. And that was kind of a wake up call for me because I realized I just can't do anything, not nothing. Right. I, I've got to have a plan. And, and so when I ultimately decided uh, to step back from the day job, you know, on a permanent basis, you know, I have had certain priorities I wanted to do. It's not only the, the board positions, but, you know, I have some personal things that I, I like to do. I, I, I like to say I'm an avid woodworker, but I have lots of equipment. Okay. I haven't spent that much time, you know, making the, all the things that I have dreamed of making. Well, you know, one of the things that I have done since I have retired from the day job is I, I commit myself to one day a week we're just working in the workshop and I don't care if I'm just, you know, sorting through all my tools or if I'm actually right. making something, but, you know, but time is short. Right. So, you know, but I enjoy that. That's something that is healthy for me mentally. And it actually helps me focus on some of the other things that I still do uh, on a professional basis. Yes. Yeah, so if you go back, uh, one of our other guests, David Rubman, he was a lawyer and he turned woodworker and he now has stuff, all over the country. So I could connect you, you could listen to his podcast, <laughs> but uh, he could tell you how he did it, but it was same kind of thing. And I think that that is really important when people are looking for their next chapter, what are their hobbies? What's it going to look like? 
And, you know, we help a lot of people to do pre-retirement planning because they want to make sure they can sleep at night and financially know they're going to be okay. And if I can just say one thing, which I try to add in every podcast, especially for all our listeners, is if you live within your means and you save, you will have the flexibility at age 61 or 65 to retire. And that's really so important. If you don't live within your means, everything falls apart. So I always try to put that in there in all these uh, conversations. And so I talk to a lot of corporate attorneys, corporate executives that always say to me, you know, my next chapter, I really want to be on a board, but I have no idea where to begin. And I think you've been on what, nine boards already. So if you can kind of, and I know you have a specialty, but if you can kind of share how you were able to get involved and what your experience has been on these boards. So the first thing to to recognize is, is there is a difference between a private company board and a public company board. I I have not uh, served on a public company board. And quite frankly, for most large public company boards, I, I don't have the pedigree to kind of do that. You know, they want to have someone who was a C-suite executive that oversaw, you know, 500 employees and a, and a billion dollars in revenue. Well, that's not, that wasn't my background. My background, I, I was a service provider, right? I was a, basically a consultant on a financial issues for, uh, for companies. Um, so one of the unique things about the private company uh, corporate governance uh, sector is they're very interested in people that have a variety of different skills or specialties. Um, and as they're looking for directors, they're not necessarily looking for someone who's going to come in and is going to bring them, you know, a book of business in, in an area that, you know, they didn't know anything about or, or, or management skills on, on managing an organization. They want people with 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 different skill sets. It could could be something in human resources. It could be something in in the legal profession. It could be something in the accounting profession. And I came to the table because you know I have this specialty in finance, dealing with ESOP owned companies, um, and understanding uh, that that it's a very interesting ownership structure that has some unique tax advantages, but it has some u- unique regulatory advantages because it's it's a retirement plan that's overseen by the Department of Labor. You know, so one of the things that that that, that I just kind of was I was evaluating, I, I thought the, the whole concept of corporate governance, I thought I could add real good value, um, you know, broadly beyond my corporate finance background, but just in dealing with companies and and strategic issues, et cetera. And I think a lot of people are like that. They they bring a broader experience other than their particular discipline, right? Well, how can you uh, uh, bring those skills to the table uh, and an opportunity for corporate governance in the private company sector. Uh, you know, one of the things that very much benefited me was I got involved and actually was a founder uh, of, a, of a group called the Private Directors Association. There were four or five of us that were just sitting around, you know, probably six years ago, kind of conceptualizing. We thought that this was something that you know, it would be very uh, beneficial to to people like us and others. And and today that organization has over a thousand members. Um, it's called PDA, Private Directors Association. Wow. And one of, one of the great things that they do um, is they actually uh, have job postings for um, uh, directorship positions in private companies. Uh, that, that's one of the, the goals that they set is not only for people to join that want to be directors, but also for, as a resource for private companies to come to. Uh, and, and so every month they, 
they send out to their membership these opportunities that exist. And, and it's interesting, you know, because uh, there is no other re kind of resource uh, that generally available that, that kind of broadcasts these kind of opportunities. And uh, so that was very beneficial. I also benefited from my, uh, the fact that I have a lot of contacts in the ESOP area, uh, you know, so I drew on those contacts uh, to, to, to find opportunities as uh, board positions. But like organization like PDA, there, there's a, 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 another organization, um, you know, called the uh, National Association of Corporate Directors, NACD. Uh, a lot of public company directors belong to that. But but any kind of directors, they talk about the right kind of issues, the right type of corporate governance uh, concerns that anyone who's involved in corporate governance um, actually uh, not on just a corporate perspective, but also very valuable tools for if you're part of a foundation board or if you're part of some charitable organization board, uh, really good issues to kind of to be thinking about. And so I got involved in those organizations and the networking, you know, uh, meeting other people, you know, that's invaluable. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, I've met a lot of people that have introduced me to different positions, but they've introduced me to other people you know, and you, you go down the line of meeting and meeting other people, connections, and you would be amazed at the kinds of, of opportunities that ultimately come out of those uh, kind of networking opportunities. So, you know, I used to, to tell my colleagues, younger colleagues, I says, you know, the way you're going to succeed is getting out there and getting yourself in front of other people. Um, that applies so broadly to lots of other things. It, 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 it has been very beneficial in, in this quest as well. So can we um, go back to the PDA? Who runs that now, or do, is there a professional? So, yep. So it yeah. uh, it started off again. You know, um, we we it, it is a professional association. And wow. So there's a, a professional association staff, um, and so they have programs. They have educational programs as well. So you can, for example, uh, either attend in person or a virtual program. What are effective ways to, to land your first corporate board seat? You know, how to put together your background information, you know, for a prospective company. Uh, what you should prepare for, for interviews, you know, with, uh, with, with companies. Um, so it's, it's really been a, a great resource uh, for, for me, but it's also a terrific introduction for those that are just trying to step their toe in it. And it's not an organization that costs you thousand dollars to join. I, I don't know what the cost is today, but it, right. it's, it's very affordable. And again, just the networking alone, along with just listening uh, to the topics of the programs helps educate you in terms of what really the, the issues are that you need to deal with uh, as a uh, corporate governance uh, uh, director. Yeah, we'll make sure we put the website in our uh, notes for the podcast. But I, you know, there's always the question I get all the time. How do you even start? And I think that this PDA, I'm amazed that you guys started it. And what a beneficial um, group for people that are looking to get into the private director. So yeah, it was selfish how we organized it because <laughs> we were trying to do things to help ourselves. But right. uh, I think it's a great resource. Well, obviously, the thousand people, there's a need. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned one thing and you were at Duff and Phelps for 25 years. So did you actually have to put a resume together after all those years of all your accomplishments and everything? 
I never had to put a resume together for a, a permanent employment opportunity, but right. you know, uh, in terms of the background information that I put together for myself as uh, as a potential director, it was a little bit of a painful process, right? You know, uh-huh. because you're you know, you, you get yourself comfortable in a particular position, and then now you're having to describe yourself to someone else. Um, and, and from a, a director uh, perspective versus an employment perspective, it's much different, um, right. you know, but it, it took, uh, you, you had to do a lot of self-evaluation. Um, and actually for me, I mean, I, I always thought, for example, I thought I would be a really good family business director. Right, a director of a family mm-hmm. business company, because I've worked with a lot of family businesses. What I, I soon discovered is a lot of family business consultants, quite frankly, they have a, a mindset that they want a former CEO to be on the board of a family business. They want them to be a, a mentor on big corporate issues. Um, and so it was kind of a wake-up call for me that maybe that particular sector wasn't wasn't one that I could get involved in. Uh, but you know, uh, I'm always tweaking my my, my resume, and actually my resume isn't like a two-page resume, you know, I have a PowerPoint presentation, which, you know, some people think maybe is a little bit too much, but, you know, I found that was successful in how I pitched business when I was younger. So, you know, I've kind of stuck with the same mentality. Yeah, I'm sure it's great, Dan. And that's what I wanted to talk about because you don't just call someone up. I think you have to have a list of what you've done, but I think a PowerPoint's a great way because, you know, people, then people can be focused and listen. So, you know, on these boards, how much time do you spend or like how many meetings a year? What is it like? Each is different, right? Uh, some boards, uh, I play a much more active role. I'm chairman of a civil engineering firm that's based in Bismarck, North Dakota. Several months after I, I just became chair, the uh, uh, CEO uh, passed away of cancer. And so suddenly my full-time job over the next probably three months was spearheading the efforts to, to bring in a new CEO. We ultimately, ultimately did not hire a search firm. We were able to, to do that through our own contacts. Um, you know, so each one is, is, is a little bit different, uh, but there are other boards where it's primarily, you know, you know, attending board meetings on a quarterly basis and, and committee meetings uh, in between. But one of the things that uh, in each of the boards that, that I try to do is, Independent board member is a great sounding board for the CEO and a CEO's position, quite frankly, is a little bit lonely. And I would like to say that we have conversations on a regular basis. I actually think I do most of the listening, mm-hmm. you know, because they need time to really right. download, right? And do some reflection. Am I thinking about things right, Dan, in this area? Um, I probably enjoy that part of of being a board member more than any. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm acting as a mentor, but I'm certainly acting as a right. sounding board uh, for, for, for the CEO. And so so those kind of situations, but um, it still gives me plenty of time that I can uh, I, I can spend on, on, on other things, but uh, it's, it, it's very much worthwhile. I, I will tell you, you know, we talked a little bit before about my involvement as uh, chairman of the board of trustees of an elementary school. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, but I was interviewing for a board uh, and one of the board members says, well, you know, I, I sent my, and, and this was somebody that lived in New York or lives now in New York, said I sent my kids to, to Sacred Heart in, in, in Chicago and, and knew the head of schools and, and, you know, you, you just never know where connections right, might come. Right, right. 
on, on, on different things. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I will say the challenges of, of being a, on a board of trustee of a elementary school during COVID was quite challenging, right? You had a third of the parents who were appalled that you were actually, you know, allowing the kids to ultimately come back to school, right? You had another third of the parents were absolutely appalled that you were forcing the kids to wear masks at school, right? Um, and so you couldn't win on either side of the of, 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 of the argument. And you had a head of schools that was dealing not only with parents, but with teachers, right? right. Teachers were, teachers were uh, at a sacred heart, we got them back into school right away. That's amazing. Uh, as soon as the as soon as the state allowed it. And we did a great job remotely, you know, until then. Um, but then when we got them back in school, you know, you had teachers, they had families, right, at home. And if someone, if some teachers had kids that were not in schools that were back full time, they had that stress. You had some teachers that had uh, maybe parents that lived with them. And, and so they were afraid that if they got COVID and brought COVID home, you know, that that was going to be a big. So there were stresses all over the place. And, you know, you just, you had to kind of keep focused. And, and our focus was we were wanted to make sure we were doing the right thing. Uh, we knew we weren't going to make everybody happy, but, um, you know, a lot of this was mandated by the state of Illinois so that you could fall back on, 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 on the regulations that were required. Um, but it was a very, very trying time. Uh, but what I will say is it amazing to me how adaptable people were, how adaptable teachers were, you know, how adaptable everybody was to make, make things work uh, for the better. Uh, so while it was a, a clearly a, a much more time consuming responsibility uh, there for a while, it, it, I walked away, you know, with a, with a very strong appreciation for to do, you know. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about what people want to spend their time doing. You know, you know, some people want to kind of give back. How do you do that? From my perspective, I guess you know we could write checks to, to organizations, which we do. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how I got myself recruited into the uh, the leadership position of being on the board of trustees for an elementary school. But what really stuck in the back of my mind is, you know, my my mother was a teacher. Uh, she's now retired uh, down in Texas, but. Education was always a very, very important part of, of us growing up. And she was a, a teacher who had a specialization in reading. So my brothers and I were voracious readers. And, you know, to me, the commitment of, of giving back your, my time to, to a school was well worth it. And, 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 and I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. And, and so I encourage everyone to, you know, uh, when you think about what, what you want to spend your time uh, and energy doing, establish your priorities and, and, f and follow that path. Yeah, I mean, sometimes just being chair of the school is an honorary. I'm sure you were a great board of trustee. You got things done, so they made you chair. Never did you envision that you'd be rolling up your... I remember talking to you in the middle of this, but they always say you get more than you give. And, you know, the school was very important to your family. Your kids went there. Education was important from your upbringing. So it's like checks all the boxes. And you're right, you know, just to be involved in an organization because you feel like you should 
is not the right answer. You should have a reason. You should feel good about it. I've been involved too. And, and you take a sense of pride. Sometimes when they're middle of this, you're like, Oh, how, how did I get involved? How did I right. get here? You wake up and, and, but then when you could take a year and step back, you realize how great it was. So I'm sure yeah. the school loved having you and you did a great job. You know, the, the interesting thing about uh, a volunteer organizations is that organizations are dying to have people involved that are, experienced and just have good judgment about issues um, and that that are committed to, to doing things. And so what you have to be careful of, and, and for me, is because uh, I've turned down offers to be uh, part of organizations because I didn't feel like I had the passion for it. And if I don't have the passion for it, then I'm going to disappoint them and then I'm going to disappoint myself. Um, and so that was you know, with, with Sacred Heart, I, I did have a passion, right? It was a school my children were at the point, at that point attending and, uh, and, and education was something that was important to me. But uh, it, it is important that, that you don't do it just because you want to check a box. You, you do it because there's some other, other compelling reason why it makes sense for you and that you want to do it. I wrote a book, which a lot of listeners know, Maximize Your Return on Life, Invest Your Time and Money in What You Value Most. And I have a chapter in here that my time budget was overdrawn. And a big part of that was, I think I was on four or five boards, which I had passion for all of them. And I found a reason to be involved, but sometimes I was just spreading myself too thin. So I've made an agreement with myself that I will be on no more than two boards because I want to give 110%. We've all seen people who are on boards who don't show up to meetings and don't give. So that was my personal change, but it's so easy to say yes. And it's so hard to say no. And every, every board needs people that want to work. And uh, so that that's just mine. But I, I love what you said. You have to have passion and enjoy it. So my next favorite topic is how you and your family maximize their return on life. And I know we talked about a few examples and I love you to share some recent examples and some long-term examples. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, you know, and my brothers and I kind of came up with the, the, this thought with our families, we were going to invest in experiences. As the kids grew up, we all had, uh, we would all take them skiing together. You know, I have, I have two brothers, families on the one in Boston and one in San Francisco. And so we would go skiing every Christmas holiday, not because, I, in fact, I'm not really a great skier, nor do I enjoy it, but I enjoyed having all the kids together. Mm -hmm. And then we wanted our kids to to get to know the, each other as cousins. Well, and th that passion of experiences, uh, investing in experiences, my two boys and my wife and I, it was Father's Day. We're sitting around the, the, the back porch uh, on Sunday evening, and the boys are complaining that, gosh, we haven't gone on a vacation since COVID, Dad. You know, and my wife and I, we had just celebrated 25 years and we hadn't done anything. And, and, you know, so I, so I told my youngest son, I said, all right, Harry, all right, if you could go one place, where would you go? And Harry looked at me, he says, dad, in two weeks, there's a formula one race in Vienna that I want to attend. And I said, Harry, if you can find a ticket at a reasonable price for that, uh, and which I knew he couldn't find a reasonable price ticket because we had almost went down to Austin to a, to a race earlier and it took Harry five minutes, showed me on his phone, these price of tickets for the Formula One race in, in Austria. I looked at Harry and I guess I'd already committed. I said, Harry, 
you book those tickets and we'll figure out what we're going to do within the next couple hours. We went ahead and booked airline tickets for a, a two-week trip with that race being right in the middle of it. What was terrific is because that was an open time for us. We, we, right. we didn't have any conflicts. And, and so my wife planned the, the vacation around it. And so in two weeks from that evening, we <laughs> boarded a plane to Switzerland. And it was a great experience, but it was investing in experiences, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, when we were in, in Austria, uh, in, in Vienna, you know, Liz and I are wanting to, 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 to visit different museums and things like that. My boys, 16 and 18, want nothing to do with that, right? So they rented those scooters and are, are, are tooling around all over the, the, the city while Liz and I are, are, are sightseeing. And I could tell they were stopping off at lunch because I would get these PayPal, <laughs> you know, uh, notices that they had spent money somewhere. But, but again, the concept was, you know, investing experiences. It, it cost us probably twice as much as, as if, if we had planned this, you know, six months earlier. But it was the right thing to do at the right time. Right. And I don't know if we'll ever have the chance to do that again. And we're not big spenders as a family, you know. I mean, Liz and I had celebrated 25 years and hadn't done anything. Harry had turned 16, was going to turn 16 during our trip. Uh, so it all just kind of came together. But, you know, again, it's important to be able to kind of step back and and just kind of like evaluate and say, what's what's important for us as as people and as a, as a family? And and that was a great experience for us. And And I don't I hope we have trips like that in the future. But, you know, I, I really felt good that we were flexible enough as a family that we didn't have to say, okay, this trip has to be organized six months ahead of time before we do it. You know, uh, we checked to make sure our passports, you know, yeah. were, were valid and, and we booked the tickets and, and we went from there. Yeah. Just tip for listeners. I think your passport has to be within 90 days of travel. So I did have a client that got turned away at the airport. So always make sure you have a passport because you never know when a family like Bastons is going to make a trip. And you, you said one thing that really rang true is who knows when we'll do this again. My kids are older. They give me five of their vacation days and have to plan a year in advance. So, so that the right kisses are not going to Austria in two weeks because that's just not the way uh, life will work for my kids. So I'm so glad you did that. And you're right. These are memories that the kids will have forever. And you're not doing this every month. You're doing this after 25 years of marriage and your son's 16. And it's just... I just, I'm smiling ear to ear th thinking about you guys and well, hearing about Cherry, it. I, I'm a planner. I'm an ultimate right, planner. Right. So this concept of doing <laughs> something like this violated everything that I ever would propose, right? Right. You know, but again, it's a mindset. And I think, again, stepping back from the professional life, it, it allows me to take much more of a flexible approach to a lot of things. You know, I, I hope that my children do the same thing when they're of their age and if they follow your investment principles and philosophies, maybe Sherry, maybe they, maybe they might be. We'll right? put the book under their pillow one day when they're older. But I mean, I think you taught them with that a, that if you want to do something, go for it. And you guys went for it and, and they see you visit your parents. They see you spending time with them. Our actions sometimes speak louder than words and you'll be surprised because my kids are a little older than yours when they start 
doing some of the things that you've been doing, you're like, wait, I would have done that. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. And yeah. I just want to also mention, cause I know uh, Liz and I are very close. That's Dan's wife. And there's a family cabin that has been part of her family that when I talk to Liz, that's her happy place. And yep. sometimes she'll call me on the way to the cabin. So, you know, I think between the trips and the ski trips with your family in the cabin with Liz's family and your decision to retire when you did, but we're calling this, you know, retire from your day job, but not retired. You are an example of maximizing your return on life. And it's been so fun getting to know you through these years. And I know we have next chapters to live together and always look forward to your advice and your encouragement as, as we've grown our business. That's every time I see Dan, he's like, how many people, what's your at? You know, he's got that business <laughs> hat on and he's always asking about it. So uh, I appreciate that. But if any of our listeners would like to learn more, how Rappaport Rikus Capital Management can help you maximize your return on life, please visit our website at rrcapital.com. I have my own website, sherrygrecorikus.com. And we will be putting this PDA because I think this is a really interesting concept for a lot of listeners, a lot of people I've talked to through years. That'll be on the website for the podcast. And I just want to thank you, Dan. This was really fun just chatting and spending quality time together on the podcast. So thanks for being a guest. Thank you, Sherry. And uh, it was it was an honor. I'm deeply humbled that you asked me to do it. And, and again, uh, you set the right priorities for people. So thank you.